So, who loves hats? Okay, great. Hats are awesome because, I mean, messy hair day, let's just throw on a hat. Um, funny factoid, my mom and I used to have a hat collection that we shared. It was very unique in that we had Victorian hats, bedazzled hats, French berets, cowboy hats, safari hats, you get it. So because I was obsessed with the Victorian era growing up, um, I stayed single like pretty much my whole childhood, teenage years, yeah. So my mom really cultivated that in me to keep the boys away. <laughs> Good job, mom. Winning. So as women, we, we wear many hats, right? We're the queen of multitasking in our homes. Um, you may wear the hat of a mom, a grandmother, a wife, a professional woman, one who serves others at a local community, business. We all wear hats in life. But I want you to remember that the one hat, it's actually not a hat, it's a crown. There's a crown that's designed just for you because you are a daughter of the king, nothing less. And if you don't know Jesus, get ready. He's got a gorgeous crown waiting for you. So as you can see, I'm wearing my midwife hat because, you know, midwife, I'm a midwife and all. Um, and I believe that the Lord has not called me just to be a midwife in the physical world, but also a midwife in the spiritual world as well. So to help women get to that place where they're able to birth in safety, in trust, and in surrender. So one of the hats that, two of the hats that I wear that never come off my head are that of a, of a wife and also a mom. And I have a beautiful little family. I married an incredible man my best friend, Paul Okimoto, and we have two beautiful children, Preston, who's five and a half, and Isabella Joy, she's three and a half. And Preston just started kindergarten. Yeah, big gear for this guy, so proud of him. And I'm gonna tell you right now that I'm gonna get Mom of the Year Award. <laughs> oh yeah, you know why? Because not only did we put our kid on the school bus the first day of kindergarten, we drove to the school and got him off the bus and walked him to class. <laughs> Don't worry. But then we drove to DFW Airport and caught a plane to Mexico. Oh yeah, for a week. Woo! Peace out, press. Good luck doing kindergarten, man. You do you. We're going to celebrate my 40th. Yeah. Just happened that first day of school was August 20th. My 40th was August 22nd. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel guilty. We have to be here for the first day of school at least to walk him to his classroom, then we can leave. And Paul's like, don't worry, there may be more than one first day of kindergarten. I'm like, don't say things like that. <laughs> 
So anyways, he's resilient. He loves riding the bus. He's doing really well in kindergarten. And my kids, Isabella, she's fiery, funny, and fabulous. For those of you who have met her or not met her, she is, I don't know what she's going to do in this world, but great things. Preston as well. So my kids know that I'm a midwife, right? So they know that mommy goes to the hospital and mommy helps take care of women who have babies in their tummy and mommy helps deliver babies and mommy also goes to the office and she has patients that come and see her in the office. And so one day Isabella said, mom, when I grow up, I want to be a mommy and I want to go to a meeting. I'm like, what? We do have a fair amount of meetings, but she also said to me, she's like, I hope you have a good day in the office. Go make a baby. (laughs) Uh, thanks. And it wasn't until I sat down to watch the, um, was it Boss Baby on Netflix? And they actually are making babies at the headquarters. I was quite disturbed. Um... And then one day, when Preston was in preschool, I was picking him up, and he's like, why'd you bring this car, Mom? Where's your ambulance? (laughs) So um, he also used to lift my shirt up when I would come home from the hospital, just to peek under my shirt. And I was like, babe, you you don't really need to be doing that. I mean, getting a little old for that. He's like, yeah, but did you just get one baby? Just get one baby and put it in your tummy? And then I said, Mommy would get a lot in a lot of trouble if I took babies from the hospital. <laughs> but that's how he thinks that I got him, right? So again, those conversations will come probably sooner than later. So did you know that I also was not going to be a midwife? I didn't even really know what a midwife was. I was in school to be something else. I was actually in school to be a family nurse practitioner. And... I discovered that I wasn't passionate about doing prostate exams on 80-year-old men. I was like, it's not my jam. Can't do that. Debbie told me to be funny, so just thanks for the laughs. (laughs) Even if you're like, this is super awkward. I'll try and keep it like PG, PG PG-13, you know. So anyways, um, the day came at Baylor University or where I was at graduate school where they gave the final stamp of approval for the very first bachelor's of science in nursing to doctor of nursing practice in nurse midwifery. Yeah, try saying that five times, okay. So basically it was a nurse midwife program, but it was a doctorate level, okay? So I had to make a decision if I was gonna stay in the family nurse practitioner track or if I was gonna transition over into the nurse midwife track. It was gonna be longer schooling because it wasn't a master's, it was a doctorate. And I was just in this quandary. I didn't know what to do. And my mom said, I really think you should call your aunt. So I called my Aunt Gayla. She's an awesome, awesome lady. She's uh, ministered here at Generations. And I was like, hey, this is what's going on. I told her the situation. And she's like, okay, what's your greatest passion? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, what's your greatest passion? I said, well, I love helping women. I've been a labor and delivery nurse for like seven years at the time. I was like, and I love traveling and doing medical missions, and I love helping people. I'm just like, blah, 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 all over the world, kind of with all my explanations of what my passion was. And she's like, no, 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 no. 
The way you identify your greatest passion is you ask yourself two questions. And when you have the answer to those two questions, then you know. And I was like, please, Jedi, tell me (laughs) the two questions. And she said, what brings you the greatest joy and what makes you cry? What brings you the greatest joy and what makes you cry? And I knew right then. What brings me the greatest joy is seeing women empowered to make educated decisions. What brings me the greatest joy is listening to women. And what brings me the greatest joy is seeing life brought forth. And what makes me cry is seeing the injustice of women here in the United States, but also in the developing world. And what makes me cry is seeing women oppressed. And knowing that women's health is a basic human right. And she said, well, I think you've made up your decision. I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to be a midwife. So that day changed everything. That moment changed the course of my professional life. So the, the word midwife means with women. And I am honored to take care of women from the ages of 13 all the way past menopause. So I do more than just like deliver babies. I do. STD screening and pap smears and birth control and preconception counseling and all the wonderful things that have to do with women's health and also some primary care. And one of the greatest joys of my job is getting to be with women in the most intimate times, at their most vulnerable moments. I get a front row seat. I get to be a guest of honor to witness them bring life into the world, but also to help them get there, to help them to push it, right? Being vulnerable in birth. Birth is not modest. It's raw. You're naked. It's primal. It's painful. It's fearful. It's courageous. It's strong. It's peaceful, and it's joyful. And this is one of the times in a woman's life that she doesn't have ultimate control over. She doesn't know how her uterus is going to contract and how her cervix is going to open up and how her baby is going to tolerate labor. And is she going to have a vaginal birth or is she going to end up needing a C-section? And I always tell my clients and their partners, labor and birth require a huge dose of faith and surrender. Faith and surrender. And that's what the Christian walk is all about too, isn't it? Because we don't have control over the situations that are taking place in our life right now, in our family, in our world. But buddy, I tell you, one who does, and I have faith in him, and I surrender daily. So there is a, a researcher who I love. Her name is Brene Brown. I don't know if any of you have heard of her. Um, but she actually set out to kind of prove, disprove the myth of vulnerability. And in her quest, she discovered that vulnerability is needed. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. 
If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. I define vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. I'm going to be vulnerable with you now. Not that I haven't been. But I'm going to share a part of my story that many of you have never heard before. And if it's just for one person in this room today, then it's worth it. So 14 years ago, I got engaged to a fine man. And it was a very public engagement to the point that after the proposal, which was filmed by an undercover couple at a very nice restaurant, we were going on a horse and carriage ride, but yet I was walked into a ballroom full of 100 of our closest friends and family from around the world. It was quite amazing and overwhelming. I felt like a princess. It was so incredible that part of our story was in Oprah's contest that she was holding that year. And her producer called me and told me that we had made it into the top 10 and we would need to be ready to fly out at a moment's notice to be on her show. Well, she didn't call us, but part of our story was aired on her show. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I would love to meet Oprah. This would be so great, so awesome. Like, if we win, we could build hospitals and orphanages and schools, like, do missions, all this stuff. It was so great. All these dreams that I had with this individual. And one fateful day, he came to me and he was honest with me. And I'm so grateful that he was honest. But at the time, I was so angry. And he was honest with me, and I didn't know how to respond in the moment. And so it took some time to think about our conversation. But that conversation shook me to my core and opened up things from my past that I had not dealt with. Feelings of inadequacy, I'm not enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. And I got so depressed and so low, and I couldn't talk to anybody about this. We both had, were serving at our church in different capacities, and um, we were working on this production, and I came to, I was over the dance ministry, and I came for one of our rehearsals, and the fine arts pastor's wife at the time saw me, and she looked at me, and she goes, you're carrying something that is so heavy. And if you allow it, it will take your life. And what she didn't know is I had a plan. I had a plan 
to take my life after Easter production was over. Because I didn't want to wake up from what felt like the end, from what felt like a nightmare. And in the grand scheme of things, it was probably one of the greatest blessings that could have happened in my life, right? But at the time, a 25-year-old woman. So I um, broke down and I shared my heart with her. Vulnerability. It releases us from that prison that we put ourselves in. And so she said, you need to call your dad. So I called my dad, and I shared with my dad what was going on. And he said, somewhere in Numbers chapter 30, it talks about when a young woman makes a vow, her father has the authority to break that vow. And as your father, I rebuke the union of this wedding. And it was that, that moment that this door to this cell broke open and light flooded in. And I was like, there's a way out. There's a way out. And so, of course, the, I broke off the engagement. I laid down my ministry. I left my church. And I went back to Shady Grove. And I was in the bathroom, and I saw a flyer for this woman's Bible study called The King's Daughter becoming the woman that God's created you to be. And I was like, huh, yeah, right. I spent my whole life. PK, I've devoted my life to the Lord. Like, I've done mission work. Like, this, I was just a disaster. And the Lord's like, you need to come. So I came. I was in sweats. I had a hat on. I sat at the back. I didn't want to be there, but I knew I was supposed to be there. And that night was a game changer. That night is when my healing began. And that night is when Pastor K revealed two vases. And she said, these two vases represent two different women. This vase here is beautiful and so ornate And this face here has been shattered and put back together. This is a woman who has experienced extreme trauma and pain in her life. But she doesn't want anybody to know, right? Because it's not cool to be vulnerable. Vulnerable is weak. It's not strong. That's what the world tells us. She covers up the pain and the scars from the outside, it looks like her life's perfect. She's got the beautiful home, the two-car garage, the white picket fence. Her, like, social media is on point. She uses all the cool filters, and her Instagram stories are always perfect. But what you don't know is inside this woman She struggles with feeling inadequate. She struggles with stealing. She struggles with emotional abuse. 
She's experienced the pain of abortion. She was sexually abused when she was a little girl. She's been lied to. She's been cheated on. She's experienced the pain of divorce. She's been physically abused. She struggles with addiction. She struggles with pride. What else is inside of her? Self-harm? Anxiety? Lust? Jealousy? Fear? Depression, doubt. You see, these women are actually the same. They've actually experienced true brokenness. But the thing that sets them apart is that this woman has released all of this to the Lord. And as a result of her releasing that and allowing his love and his light to come and heal and restore and mend and redeem every broken area, his light can shine through her. His light can go into the most intimate places of her heart, the places of her heart that she shut off because she's like, no, you can't go there. I've been hurt there before. I don't trust anyone. There's no hope for me. I'm so far gone. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. Into me see. That is what intimacy is. God, into me see. What do you see when you look at me? God. You know what he says? I see my daughter. I see a woman who's been created in my image for my glory and my renown. I see the light of my love shining through every scar every broken area so that now she can be a light to the world.
Brokenness is beautiful. I stand before you today, a woman who's been beautifully broken, a woman who's been redeemed and restored. He makes everything beautiful. Revelations 21 verse 5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. Not just some, but all. He doesn't do things half-hearted. And when we say to him, but no, you don't know. No, I'm not worthy. I'm so undeserving. You know what you're really saying to him? Jesus, what you did on the cross wasn't good enough for me. I don't deserve that. It wasn't good enough. How dare we allow our pride, because that's what the, the root of this thing, our pride to stand in the way of our freedom and our wholeness. So God brought a wonderful man into my life. It took him a long time to get me on a first date. I mean, rightfully so. I had trust issues. <laughs> but after six months of trying, he finally, like, wore me down. <laughs> Just kidding. He sent me a list of 12 dates to choose from. Are you available March 23rd, March 25th, March 28th, April 4th, April 6th? I was like, oh, my gosh, what's up with this guy? And my mom was like, just give him a chance, you know. I mean, you are neighbors. It's just two neighbors going to the opera. I'm like, okay. Sure. He wore the same tuxedo on our first date that he wore on our wedding day. Pretty amazing. We got married, had an incredible wedding. We were able to have our son here in Texas. We gave birth to him in Fort Worth and then moved to Colorado for a few years and had our daughter there. And God walked us through some really hard trials during that time. But let me tell you something. When you experience hardship and tribulation and then you go into this next season and there's more hardship and tribulation, you're like, I remember that you're the same God yesterday and today and forever. And Psalm 27 verse 13 through 14 is my life psalm. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So God restored my heart. So when I stood at the altar with my husband, although my heart is beautifully scarred, and he has beautiful scars on his heart, our union is strong. And God brought us back to Texas. <laughs> so happy to be here, closer to our family. And God brought us back to the church that I had left, where I had thought my dreams had died. He restores all
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Get rid of those grave clothes, ladies. Like Kendra preached about this morning. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He has made everything beautiful in its time. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to play a song called Beautifully Broken. I don't know if any of you have heard it. It's by Plum. And it says, one of the verses says, You're beautifully broken, and you can be whole again. Even a million scars doesn't change whose you are. You're worthy. And that's at the heart of healing. That's at the heart of restoration and redemption is first and foremost knowing who you are. If the enemy can rob you of your identity, then he can prevent you from fulfilling your destiny. Lord, I just thank you for today, Father. I thank you for these daughters, these daughters who are royal, who are beautiful, who are beautifully broken. And Lord, I pray right now for the Holy Spirit to come and to begin to fill their hearts with love and light and healing. Lord, you are a gentleman, and you will only go as far as we will allow you to go. Into me see. Lord, take us to deeper levels of intimacy in you, God. Heal us, restore us, renew us, and thank you for redeeming us, Lord. Our story is not over. It's just beginning. In Jesus' name, amen.